0: It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is the Great Writers Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author,
1: Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to episode number 59 of the Great Writers Share podcast, where every week we hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join us on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, roar and bounce. On today's show, we forego the usual Great Writers Share format as we turn off the lights, ignite some candles, place our jack-o'-lanterns in the windows and invite the monsters in for a special Halloween episode of what our guests have lovingly dubbed the Great Writers Scare podcast. The premise is simple, four horror writers, 60 minutes of unfiltered time to discuss all things horror writing. But who are these other three writers you might be wondering? Joining me today, we have one of our regular co-hosts, sci-fi and horror author, John Crinnan. Say hi, John. Hello. As well as two powerhouses in the horror community. I'm excited to welcome back to the show the founder and host of the This Is Horror podcast, Michael David Wilson. Say hi, Michael.
2: Hello. Great to be here.
1: And hello for the first time to his glamorous but haunting co-host, Bob uh, Pastorella.
3: Hello, how are y'all doing?
1: Doing fantastic. Uh, I think our audience knows a fair bit by now about myself and John, but Michael and Bob, would you like to give yourselves a little bit of an introduction?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I am the founder of This Is Horror, which is a podcast, a website, and a small press. I'm also the author of The Girl in the Video, which people may remember if they're long-time listeners that we spoke about um, back in April, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And now I'm also the co-author of Their Watching, which is the new novel from... Me and Bob Pastorella, we're pitching it as the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. So appropriate then for this Halloween Great Writers' Scare episode.
3: Love it. And Bob... Yeah, well, I'm Bob Pastorella, and I am the co-host and the uh, website manager for This Is Horror. And I'm also the uh, author of a novella called Mojo Rising, which I believe came out in 2014. It's been out for a little while. Um, This is, uh, they're watching is both me and Michael's novel debut. Um, So we have no published novels. I do have some uh, stories that are available in, in multiple anthologies uh, and online and in print. Uh, and most recent one was uh, in uh, the Perpetual Motion Machines anthology, Lost Films. So they are, and good news is, as they're doing the, uh, the the new, the third version, or I guess the trilogy completing it, they're going to be Lost Contacts. So that'll be pretty interesting. So
1: Nice. Well, welcome both to the show. Um, for the listeners, just so they know what's going on. This is going to be a bit more of just uh, an informal chat about all things horror. We're going to dive into all different aspects. We're going to cover uh, Michael and Bob's new release. We're going to cover some stuff going on with John, some stuff going on with me. Uh, but I figured that we'd start with just a simple question, which is why
2: why do we write horror, guys? It's a damn big question. I mean, you say we start <laughs> yeah. with a simple question. It's simple to ask. There's not a lot of words in the question, but in terms of getting <laughs> very short getting question, to the,
1: the but it's core, one that we probably get the most.
2: Yeah, why do we write horror? I think, in a sense, we write horror to not only escape the horrors of. everyday lives and of the everyday lives within the world but I think as a safe way to process and to deal with them I think that is certainly one reason so you can take these horrible things that are happening and then you can deal with them on the page you can decide what what you would do in these situations or you can Confront them. And so, in a way, it's therapeutic. You're dealing with not only your fears, but universal fears. And in dealing with them, it can help us to understand them, which can then mean that they become less scary. Because I think one reason, if you look at particularly horror films, if you don't show the monster, if you don't show the evil, then it is even more terrifying. But when you put a face or an aesthetic to it, then in some sense, I mean, perhaps not humanizing it because often it's not a human, but you, you're getting something that you can deal with and you can look to tackle. So that's certainly one of the reasons that I and a lot of us write horror. I think another is just more simple. It it is escapism but it's also a thrill, like riding a roller coaster there's something a little bit scary about it but it's exciting at the same time I mean most people we're, we're attracted to things that do have this adrenaline and this give us this dopamine rush and so certainly horror does that but I think anytime when we're asked why do we like something it's difficult I mean someone could ask why do I like heavy metal for example (laughs) there are things that we could perhaps unpack and we could look into why we like it but I think it's just more important to know that we do like it and I think it's important to know what brings us joy you know that can be a good way to avoid the the opposite of joy and to escape from pain to deal with mental health issues and depression, because life can be hard enough. Let's just have some pure things that bring us joy. And as long as we're not hurting other people, then let's go out and seek joy. So perhaps not the conclusion that you expected to or why do you write horror, (laughs) but that's the direction I'm taking it in.
3: Mm hmm. I feel the same way. I mean, it, it's it's like I remember when I was a kid, you know, it was like the first time did you ever watch like a like a horror movie and or you read a scary story. There's something about that thrill, that moment that your mouth goes dry. You you you, you feel that your hair on the back of your neck stand up. And, and it's like you're constantly wanting to recreate that. And horror allows you to do that with a safety net. You can face the face of the monster. Um, you, can, you can stare it in the face and know that this thing can't really hurt me. I'm facing it. And, you know, as, as I've gone o- grown older, I've realized that a lot of my own personal fears of things that aren't supernatural, or paranormal, or anything like that... Are, are things that, that we try to, I try to build up that same kind of confidence to, to, to kind of push through some rough things in life when you don't have a safety net. And I think that horror can be almost like a coping mechanism. It can, it can allow you a way to, to, to build that up. For some people, it, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's totally different uh but that that's how i feel that it is for me it's it's seeking it's seeking that thrill because i don't have other thrills i don't do like roller coasters or anything like that it's just that's not me um i try to you know prefer to keep my feet on the ground and i like i like that the idea that i can face these fears um <clears throat> You know, I've, I've since I was little, I've always had poor eyesight. I wear contact lenses or wear glasses. So without my glasses, I'm like legally blind. And normal things without my contacts or glasses can really, especially when it's dark and if there's shadows, things like that, can scare the hell out of me. I've woken up too many times believing there's a dead body in my bed. So you know, what I mean, it's like, did did horror do that to me? No, that's just the way that my mind works. But yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it helps me cope. That's, that's why, you know, the same way, like what he was talking about with, with heavy metal, you know, there's something about it. It's just that drive. It just makes you feel, feel the power. And you just try to to hold on to that feeling as long as you can.
0: Yeah. It's good to hear you guys say that because like you, I don't know if I've ever really found a satisfying answer uh, for this question, but I have, like you both, been always drawn to it. When I, was a, when I was a kid, I was fascinated by monsters and dinosaurs and anything that could eat me, basically. And I would <laughs> se- search that out. And for whatever reason, that just piqued my interest in a way that no other thing did. And I guess like the way you're talking about the thrill, the roller coaster of horror. Horror is one of those genres that it's a genre of extremes. It's life or death, but, you know, that's what it always boils down to. Um, But it's a way to face that life or death extreme, exactly like you say, in a safe way. You know, you can be reading it tucked up in bed with a torch under the duvet or whatever. Um, There's something incredibly uh, appealing about that. And uh, there always was for me from a very young age, and it's never gone away. So when I used to, you know, my first visits to the bookstore when I was young, I, you know, I was wandering the shelves and for ever reason I zeroed in on the Goosebumps books, the Christopher Pike books. Those were the first ones I picked up and got into and it began my love of reading. And the same in the video store as well. I was drawn to these covers with monsters on the you know know, uh, monsters on them and exciting life or death blurbs on the back and um it became a sort of rite of passage as a young boy uh watching these movies reading these books to see how scary could you go how you know it would almost be a sort of playground type thing um an admission of oh you know last night i watched uh, I finally watched The Exorcist or some one of these kind of video nasties. It was sort of uh, it was this rite of passage for for me and my friends. And it's never gone away.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. It wasn't until you mentioned Goosebumps there, because I, I've always seen myself as a bit of a late bloomer to the horror, the horror genre. Um, I read uh, my first Stephen King when I was about 16 or 17. is around the time I started watching like the Saw franchise, watched like Poltergeist and, and whatnot. And I always considered that, Everyone else that I know within horror has started super early. It wasn't until you mentioned Goosebumps that I was like, yeah, I was entranced by Goosebumps when I was like eight years old and I went through all of the books and I absolutely loved that. Um, But I think my, so my reasons for writing horror, uh, I mean, I I think it's kind of twofold. I think there's a power and it kind of touches on what you've all said. There's a power in understanding the darkness and being able to confront the fears and the things that other people tend to avoid because through writing, you can explore death, you can explore disease, you can explore loss, all these sort of subjects that are quite common threads of, of global fear. Um, I, I, I think that's a re- really interesting to explore and to just see where your mind goes with that. Because if you spend most of your time protecting yourself from that, and not in any way discrediting other genres, but if you sort of indulge yourself in romance and all these fairy tale endings, you don't prepare yourself for some of the harsher realities of life. So there are, a, there have been a few situations in my life where things have gotten quite panicky or quite dark because of illness and, and deaths and whatnot in the family. And I've been the one that's kind of been the grounding force among that, among sort of the family that aren't really too, too used to that. But for me, the main the main reason I write horror is I remember reading certain lines of certain horror stories and two people I can shout out to easily. Number one, obviously someone we all love, uh, Mr. Chuck Palahniuk and his story Guts. And oh, uh, one of our so so good and one of our hawk and cleaver guys matt butcher who is awesome at this and i want him to write more because he's just he's fantastic particularly in the early episodes of the other stories podcast he had a couple of lines where they were just a few words but they really massively evoked some kind of like feeling of like disgust or you could just it was so overwhelming how the senses were triggered with a couple of words and for me i've always been a bit of a uh obsessor over language and and the use of wording and I just I just love trying to find those cheeky passages that can really make someone turn um so so for me as well it's sort of diving into I you can say the same thing again and again use different words and just hit different effects so I really love to like I I love it when you can write a line in five words that makes a reader feel sick like actually feel like (laughs) do you know what I mean because (laughs) how else can you do that with just words it's very
0: interesting that you've both your examples were down the disgust and gross out uh avenue like because that's just one flavor you know i'm sure we'll cover like many flavors of horror but disgust and gross out is a very specific one it wasn't fear that you said it was (laughs) it was disgust and i and i think um yeah i think that's interesting um i just want to come back to a couple of things because we both uh, sorry we all were uh, speaking about early horrors and things like that and i don't want to over-intellectualize this or anything like that but uh, someone much smarter than me once said and it it stuck with me forever that you know the first the first stories were horror stories like the Mm -hmm. the the cavemen around the the fire type thing they drew the the uh, the animal that is going to eat you Mm -hmm. on the cave wall and they told those stories and we've all mentioned sort of early uh early horrors uh, whether it's goosebumps or or movies i was just wondering does everyone want to share what their earliest kind of horror memory was, if it was a horror movie that really impacted you or a horror book. Does anyone, does anyone, everyone yeah. remember that as vividly as I do? Bob, what was yours? Cause you were talking about, about, uh, about
3: that. Well, there was, there was probably a, a few that I saw before the film I'm about to mention, but they, they didn't stick in my mind. And our our local TV station, they they would occasionally have like these really good made-for-tv movies. And this one, uh, which I think it came out on Blu-ray a couple of years ago, it's called Let's Scare Jessica to Death. And I I saw it and I was I was way, way too young to watch it. And it was one that I guess my dad had maybe heard about or read about or something like that. And he wanted to watch it. And my mom wouldn't watch it. She, I remember she went to bed. And I was probably I must have been about 8 cuz my little sister was was probably about 4. And so dad's like, "Hey, we're going to watch this creepy movie. It can't be that bad. It's on TV." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and dad had this habit he turned out all the lights. And get real, real quiet, and the movie would be started. Then he'd make a loud noise and scare us, you know. Ah! You know, and it was like the movie hadn't even started yet. We were like jumping, me and my sister, like, ah, you know. But I remember that going when it was over and going to bed, that I had like the, the worst dreams. I had this redheaded woman was coming up out of the water to get me. And uh, everybody had scars on them and stuff like that. And it's like, and it stuck with me. And it, it's it's not a particularly gory movie. And, it, and there's parts of it that you really, at that age, you can't understand. You just remember, you know, the the visceral parts of it. And as you get older, you start to realize that, you know, what it was really about or what an what interpretation of it could be. But it's that initial visuals that get stuck in your head. And that's, I mean, you know, that's one of my most influential, you know, it, it drives me. It's like when I'm like, okay, I need to, to tap back in. Always remember that film. And it's its always stuck with me. It's got these these visceral, lasting memories of that first time I've ever seen it. I have to see Michael.
2: Well, I know that the last time we spoke, I did talk a little bit about my grandmother telling me stories, various ghost stories when I was little. So I don't want to repeat that. So for the sake of giving the great writers, share people what they want, let's give some (laughs) fresh content. Because I guess when it comes to horror films, I mean, particularly when I was like 12 or 13, I'd stay downstairs really late and just kind of see what was on the various horror channels, which were typically the sci-fi channel at that point. And the two films, which are absolute classics, that stick out, uh, Night of the Living Dead and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and talk about a great one-two punch in terms of an introduction to horror, And I think as well, movies that have really stood the test of time, I think with The Night of the Living Dead, particularly because it's shot in black and white, it means that it's very forgiving today. And it really does seem like just as scary a movie, I, I assume, seeing as I don't remember when it was initially released. But I mean... I was also and am a great Resident Evil fan, and Romero was a huge influence on the Resident Evil series. And I think Night of the Living Dead is almost as close to being stuck in some Resident Evil farmhouse as you're going to get. And... Just like the absolute terror and the claustrophobia. And in fact, thinking about it now, both movies have that in common. They're both in remote locations. You're essentially trapped there. And Texas James Massacre has something resident evilly about it. Those like weird kind of camera shots down corridors when you see someone walking in and you know that leatherface is gonna turn up behind them um they're they're both just brutal and have these things that i i mean like everyone can picture just the sawyer family table just that in itself just them sitting around eating a meal you know that there's this great sense of foreboding and I think for me, I mean, I went through a phase of really wanting the most extreme horror that I could find. So I think that gets a point, though, when it's like, okay, it can't be much more extreme than this. I think after I'd seen Martyrs and Human Centipede on a Serbian film mm. and also August Underground that is essentially simulated snuff, It was like, well, it can't get any more in your face than this. So then you need to look for something else. And so it was the suspense. It was the tension. It was the sense of foreboding, which is, I think, how it started. Because actually, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, I know people have said before, there's technically more violence and more blood in Harry Potter than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But because of how it's shot. And because of the techniques that are used, obviously, you're far more petrified watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, unless you have a fear of wizards, but then, you know, (laughs) your specific case. And similarly, with Night of the Living Dead, which I think has stood up far better than Dawn of the Dead. Now, I like Dawn of the Dead, but I do think that you know, the the almost like blue face zombies and tomato ketchup style blood. It is a little bit ridiculous today. I don't know if Bob is going to end the call and cancel being with This Is for, <laughs> for such sacrilege. But I, yeah, I just don't think it's as impressive.
1: Yeah, but I am. Um, leave it at that. <laughs> perfect. I So I, I mentioned to, you, to everyone before we got on the call, that I'm definitely, in terms of, horror buff i am in no way one of those when it comes to horror films um although as i mentioned poltergeist was my first introduction to horror horror films and what was interesting for me about that is i grew up with a very um prude mother and you know there was no cursing life was good like no issues just a typical general childhood uh yeah no, no work no problems at all and what i found amazing was i was 13 when my mom put Poltergeist on, which I think, I don't know if the, the ranking has changed, but at the time it was an 18. And she let me sit with her and my my dad while they put it on. And even to this day, I can't understand why she would, because if you ever meet my mom, she is just the most like, I don't know, it's, you just think like Disney princesses, she's just one of those. Um, and I love you, mom. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just the weirdest experience to sit there as a 13 year old and watch this film. And arguably it's not the scariest horror film of all time, but there are elements for for me where I've not really been exposed to that visually. Like I say, I'd, re- I'd read Goosebumps, and I remember being sort of really grossed out when uh, Monster Blood particularly stuck with me as a kid. Um, I remember watching The Simpsons during one of their Treehouse of Horror, and I remember having nightmares for weeks about Mister um, Burns as as Count Dracula. And there were lots of there were lots of points where I could easily have steered away from horror, and. For some reason, I didn't. For some reason, I came back to it, and I think my my crowning credit to that is Stephen King's Cujo. And I think this is why it comes back to me: um, the the love of language, because there was something about Cujo that just drew me in. And have you guys all all read Cujo?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah,
1: that
0: I actually have.
1: Have you not? not oh, yeah. That that there's an intro scene where it's not even necessarily about the characters exactly it's just this horror in the back of the wardrobe and the way that he describes it and everything else just sets up the tone and everything perfectly for the whole story and there's real there's real substance in the emotional ties between i forget their names but the woman and her child in the car and obviously the dog and everything else but that was that was my real what i'd say sort of my entry point into really appreciating horror and jumping forward and going from there um i'd had all these sort of experiences before but yeah it's I, I, I don't know that the Poltergeist one still sticks with me to this day because I remember the the tree smashing against the window. I remember sort of all the voices and everything else sort of floating around. The little girl disappearing into the TV, and that from that was my real sort of pull of this is horrible, but for some reason I'm enjoying it. And I don't understand. And what's interesting, or what might be a question? Obviously, John, you answer first um, to to your own question. But what might be interesting after is just what is it that doesn't repel us about horror because hundreds of people, thousands of people probably watched all this stuff or at least one of them and then just gone, yeah, not for me, never going to watch it. But there's, I mean, it might almost touch to the first question a little bit, but for some reason, a few people break through the mold and just, just love it.
0: I can actually answer both questions uh, with one answer, a a, a bit, Um, because my first horror movie, uh, my earliest horror memory was watching an American werewolf in London that was my first film still one of my favorites and it's kind of an interesting horror movie because it's very it's has some incredibly scary moments in it there's a, a quite a famous scene which is a, a kind of nightmare scene which is famous for for everyone who's seen it I won't go into it too much but it's, it's interesting because it has these very, very scary moments, but it's essentially a horror comedy. Um, mm-hmm. It has some very, very funny moments as well. So you have that kind of interesting rollercoaster of these two kind of opposite uh, emotions going on, most opposite reactions. Um, but the thing that really... The thing that really amazed me, like I said, originally, I was always fascinated by monsters and things that could eat me. Um, There's a very, very famous, it's one of the most famous uh, horror scenes, I would say, the the first transformation scene in American Werewolf and Ronin When He Transforms. It's a wonderful example of practical effects in filmmaking. It looks incredible. The craftsmanship of uh, the work and how they did it is spectacular and I um got really obsessed with that scene when I was young I I remember actually I went to I actually thought for a long time that I might try and get into like practical special effects it was it was that uh impactful on me that that I wanted to try and do it myself my life went in a different direction but that moment I just got so obsessed with that. And it it led me down a path of um, exploring other practical effects and things like that in filmmaking and really trying to understand what was happening and how they had achieved that on screen. And that's kind of my answer to your question as well, is I still geek out about how they achieve certain visual images um, that are really intended to repel the audience and disgust you and they do have that effect they do have that visceral effect but then after uh after that initial disgust after that initial shock I then start to get really interested in how did how did they do that how is that happening and I think that that I think that that's true of my horror film watching and I also think it's true of my horror reading as well I will be scared by a scene i will be disgusted by something that i read on the page and i'll have that initial reaction but then i'll go back and reread it and say okay how did how did you do that how did you communicate that emotion with words so hopefully that kind of answers both your questions but we should throw that out now to whoever wants it next
3: i wanted to be a makeup artist too Ah. yeah it was whenever um I got a book when I was very young that kind of, and you can, I think you still get it. And it, it talks about how to, to do like facial makeup for Halloween. And like, and it shows you how you can make a paper mache mask and stuff like that. And I became like obsessed with like Lon Chaney. Um, Cause I'd seen a picture in one of the, the, you know, probably famous monsters of film land or something like that. And he had like his, this box, it looked like a tackle box. <laughs> and it had all of his, his grease paint and all the putty and stuff that he used. And just to, 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 to read about that stuff. And there was a time when I thought, you know, cause I can, I can draw, I'm, I'm, I'm decent. Uh, you know, and I was thinking, well, I can draw, I could probably make this stuff, you know? And, but no, I'm not. I, I can't, I'm, I'm not very created physically, like actually building stuff and things like that. Cause it just turns into like a big mess. I get disappointed and then laugh at myself later. <laughs> so, but it was, I was like obsessed with that. And it was like the, like the Phantom of the Opera makeup, you know, I was like, what, how did he do that? And then I read how he actually did it. I'm kind of like, yeah, that, that had to hurt, hmm. you know? And uh, that's what a lot of biographers have said about Lon Chaney is that he, he went through like he physically, you know, was the things he did was painful. You know, like a hunchback of, of, of uh, you know, the hunchback, he, the, the hunch was 45 pounds of molded rubber that he had strapped to his back. He literally could not stand up. You know, I'm thinking, shit, man, I want to do this stuff. And now I write. So, you know, I can <laughs> I can do it without having to to spend the money on it. <laughs> much <You> cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's much cheaper. <laughs> and a lot less messy. <laughs> you know. Did you have anything oh, to add there, I, Michael?
2: I don't your question of why do you like horror was difficult, but now you're asking why are you not repulsed? So you're asking. This people is, this is to a justify. breakdown of like the psyche
1: <laughs> of horror writers. Let's <laughs> yeah. cry on camera.
2: <laughs> I, I I think that they're very much Connected, And I think this specific question comes back to the idea of knowing that horror in a fictionalised setting is fiction. Now, it's fiction that is based on elements of truth and the real, but the actual horror that's happening is happening within this kind of safe environment, and perhaps those who are repulsed are those who are seeing it and they're imagining that that it actually is real, that it actually is happening almost in real time. Now, that's certainly not to say that I'm not repulsed and sickened when these things really do happen. I certainly am. So hopefully we've established that I'm not a sociopath. And I I would, in fact, say that since becoming a father I have found myself more sensitive to 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 reading about horrors committed to other humans and particularly to children and you know if, if I see a newspaper article about A kid dying then it it really upsets me on a level that it didn't when I wasn't a father and I know that if I click through to that story or if I turn the page if I'm being old school and I actually have a newspaper that I'm going to regret it and I'm going to feel sickened because I, I guess as I've got older I've got more and more empathetic and actually whilst it doesn't stop me from watching horror films where bad things happen to children, I think I do have a little bit less of a stomach for it and I do feel more upset. I still read it. So you might ask the question, <laughs> why do I continue to read it? And sometimes I don't know. I Maybe it's curiosity. Like if if we see a car crash on the motorway why the hell are we still looking why if we see something gruesome might we look away quickly but then for you we have to look back I think it may just be the morbid curiosity and the nature uh, of being human but but yes as to why I'm not repulsed it's because in the fictionalized setting I know that whilst it's based on truth it is not truth it is fiction and and so that's why but but goodness you are setting the precedent for this conversation with these hey, deep, here. <laughs> these deep questions so keep them coming what have def-
1: you got <laughs> I mean there's definitely something about it being something of a safe place to explore you've got this sandbox of of safety in which you can look at all of um these different things I mean I was on a podcast last week and someone was talking about you know the fundamentals of horror and why people read it and what it's all about and the thing I kept coming back to was it's a real expl- exploration of humanity of the, for me, anyway, the things that really get me in in anything that I read or watch horror is when you explore the fears around the stuff that is fundamentally human. So I personally don't go so much for the or I love monsters, but the things that really resonate with me are when you're talking about death, you're talking about, you know, financial problems, you're talking about relationship problems. It's all that stuff that happens in real life that, You can't escape from and as I mentioned before for me I think a big chunk of that is seeing obviously fictional but seeing other people's um, circumstances being able to almost prepare myself in a way for if that stuff happens to me and understanding that there is this element of life and for me life is all about the full spectrum of color I don't want to just block off everything in one area just because it makes me uncomfortable I want to be able to you know stand upright in, in those choppy waters and it's 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 a safe space which is the opposite i think of what a lot of people understand horror to be um and the interesting thing is i find that and i I was the same when i started actively going out and doing these sort of podcasts and speaking to people even back when me and luke were doing the story studio anytime i spoke to a horror author there's almost this expectation that you're going to speak to someone just cast in darkness and someone who just is really contemplative and comes out of all these sort of like i mean this might just mean all these kind of like riddled statements and stuff and you know, there's, there's always going to be like a troubled past. I have not had a troubled past. I've had a very good childhood. I've had a very good raising. I'm I'm lucky in that way. Yeah, I still found myself gravitating towards horror. And like I say, I think it is because fundamentally we explore what it is to be human and fear is a universal truth. And even bring this back because let's keep wrapping this round the finger. John talking about cave paintings. This goes back years, millennia. Like you can't, you cannot escape horror in the same way that you cannot escape love. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my my complicated answer there. And to continue with the theme of deep, heavy questions, now that we're in 2020, what are your comments towards how horror has changed? Into, well, what has horror brought in 2020? And how has it shaped your approach to writing? Because obviously we've all got the stuff that we're putting out this month. Um, by the time this airs, uh, Bob and Michael's book will be live in the following day, as well as the finale of um the other stories halloween horrors of hill house i'll have had a book out for well a few books out this year in different horror uh tropes and subjects so what is it 2020 has brought and how have you approached horror in 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 this year
2: i think for releasing books i mean from a practical level it's obviously meant that people can't do in-person events and you have to get a little bit more creative with your marketing and In some ways, for the small presses and for the independent publishers, I wonder if that's almost been a leveler because a independent publisher, you're not going to be doing a massive book tour anyway because of the financial cost involved in it. So, in not allowing traditional publishers to be able to do it, it almost makes it harder to separate a traditional release from an indie one. So, in many ways, as we've all released things independently, we're winning. I don't know if any <laughs> you know traditional authors would, would like that, but it, it it does mean that the advantage, I suppose, apart from like a, a much bigger advance and being able to get your book in physical bookstores, but spoiler, you can't go there anyway, means that there's not a lot that's really separating us. And I think as well, the idea of the the Zoom event or the online event has become more mainstream anyway. So it may even mean that when you put on these, these virtual events, you've got more people tuning in, more people listening more people watching so it's a good thing now of course it also means that you know a lot of people have have lost their jobs and are experiencing financial hardships so of course less people have this uh this this uh income that they can spend on books anyway so I suppose from from that perspective, you might see sales down. But I, I kind of think because there are so many pros and so many cons that it's almost evened it out so that 2020 releasing a book, it's almost like, well, it's as good as releasing a book any other year. And we don't know how long this global pandemic is going to go on for it seemed to be suggested that when the summer came and there was the hot weather that it would be harder for the virus to spread. Unfortunately, it's now October and that has gone. So that was not the case. So I think at this stage, we don't know if next year will we be better. We don't know you know, when when we're going to see some definitive answers. Of course, people are working on vaccines. There are countries where numbers are down, but it's a bit of a wild card. So I don't think you should kind of delay releasing a book because of the current situation, because you don't know what next year is like. I mean, this is a a horror show, this episode. Well, next year could be worse. This could be the best year to put out a book. Hopefully not. But we only have today, we only have the present moment to take it back to philosophy as we want to go in. So we might as well make the best of this moment. I think in terms of the fiction that I'm writing, it's more or less business as usual. I haven't written anything specifically with coronavirus or COVID in mind. I feel that that is a story that's incomplete. So let's see how things play out before that becomes part of fiction. But I think, as we said as well, when we were off air, a lot of people, they're looking at fiction and they're looking at movies to escape from the pandemic. So they don't really want to read a book and it's like, oh, bloody hell, COVID's there as well. So I think at this stage, We want to facilitate this safe space and this escape. So I'm not putting COVID into into the, the horror or the fiction that I am writing. And I think as well, I try to write about universal truths and characters. And, you know, whilst I will have things that will put it in the moment in terms of perhaps, uh, pop culture references, there's just no need to really throw COVID in as well. I mean, you know, if if I did that with their watching, it's like, oh, by the way, everyone's wearing a mask in in this particular scene, just so you're, you're all aware it might not really they add that different. element yeah, <laughs> of excitement. Um, so, yeah, I... I mean, we, we were asked a similar question on a previous podcast about how COVID has been impacting things. But I, I, I mean, I, I think in terms of the actual writing, it hasn't a great deal in terms of my personal situation. As you know, it's dramatically uh, affected it because I returned to Japan mid-March. And then the next day, they stopped letting British citizens in. Well, unfortunately for me, my wife and daughter were meant to be joining me a few weeks later. This has now turned into us being separated for seven months. But luckily, the end is in sight. So by the time this goes live, we will finally be together again. So... I will be seeing them in 8 days from the time of recording but Amazing. you know we we expected maybe at the most to be apart for a couple of months we we have never been apart for anything close to this before for 7 months and um it's been particularly difficult I suppose with with my daughter because the last time I saw her, she was one, she's now two and a half. So I've had to see her growing up and developing and going through all those milestones via Skype and via WhatsApp video calls, which whilst that's a very appropriate topical COVID way of doing things, that's not the way I in envisioned the start to my parenting. But, you know it is what it is i've kept a positive attitude i've somehow managed to, to to maintain that i'm not even sure how i suppose keeping busy has been a big part of that and we'll be together in eight days so as long as i don't break down in the next eight days i've made it through
3: there you go
0: bob how about you how how is your writing uh of horror
3: been this year? Well, it's, it's, it's actually been really good. Um, With my retail position that I have, we, we basically closed it down for a month and a half. So like the month of April, uh, all the way up until like mid May, I I didn't work. Fortunately, they, you know, they paid us, which is good, but they, we, basically didn't, didn't work. Uh, And so, but I worked on, you know, we, me and Michael worked on their watching and we were getting, you know, getting it, getting it ready to, to roll out. That's, we had decided, you know, previously, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're doing everything we can to get this thing to come out for Halloween, October 31st, you know, 2020. And so I, I knew I had to work on that and I can work on a deadline. So that's good. You know, Um, but for my own personal writing prior to COVID hidden hitting, I had uh, written a novelette that um, is hopefully going to see the light of day in 2021. Um, But I didn't really I had some ideas and I was coming off of the end of a long period of not writing. And so they're watching, working on it definitely helped that. Uh, I got pretty radical in, in, in how I decided to change. Um, it just, I just, I just opened up Scrivener, <clears throat> created a, you know, set my, you know, format to, you know, Times New Roman, 12 point, double space, you know, part one, chapter one, started writing. And within a week, I had 10,000 words. Within two weeks, I had 15,000 words and just kept going. But that did not happen until I went back to work hmm. because work was so bad <laughs> <laughs> and the stress level so high that I had gotten basically over whatever physical and emotional thing that was going through me to keep me from writing and said, Screw it! I have to write. As far as COVID being in the story, it can go either way. At this point, right now, I'm kind of the way the timeline flows. By the time it's, you know, it's we're I'm getting into, excuse me, I'm getting into like the you know the third act. So, and I have a character who's in a hospital, and so you know the even though that the the people going to see her. Are, are not being you know they're not having to wear masks and things like that this is taking place you know like in October of you know 2019 and so there are a few doctors and a few nurses who have noticed some things starting to happen who are wearing more PPE you know and so I'm incorporating in that. It's like they they encounter a doctor who's basically, they're like, why are you, she's just basically in a coma. Why are you like wrapped up like a mummy? What is the deal here? And they're like, we're just being very cautious right now. And then they start to think that maybe she has something wrong with her that they're not saying. That's part of the story. But we we find out that things are a lot different, you know. I can take that out, you know uh it but it, it's ultimately how how i want to present it i was reading something earlier this week about don delillo uh has a new book coming out his publisher the editor put covid in the story which don went back and removed <laughs> he says i don't want it in my story and he's don delillo i mean he's one of the greatest american writers and you know that we've ever had, and he's gonna, you know, whatever he wants to publish, it's it's gonna come out the way he wants it to come out, you know. But for an editor to make something relevant without the author's permission is, I don't know, that's that's probably not a really good thing to do. I, I think it will be an editor for long.
2: <laughs> that's terrible editing. That's not editing. No. Yeah, that's, I, it's that's not right <laughs> that that blows my mind. You yeah. what what on earth? that's are thinking yeah i mean luckily he saw the change but i mean that's something that if you were going to you would mention it but i i don't see the logic behind that Or well, because... you'd
1: offer it as a suggestion you wouldn't just exactly. actively embed it mm-hmm. in the story
3: yeah. yeah i mean we're talking but about what... the guy who wrote libra I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read it or not, but it's basically uh an account of you know of Lee Harvey Oswald. And it's fictional, but it's it's very it's very historical and probably you know somewhat accurate. And he's written some some great you know great novels, uh, you know, Underworld, uh White Noise, uh one Cronenberg made one into a film, uh yeah, was Cosmopolis. It, uh, yes, yes. So he's 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 a man of letters and he's, you know, to for an editor to go, well, we're just going to make this relevant. We'll put some COVID in and everything will be great. And Don's like, fuck that. You ain't doing that shit, you know? Man. And so it, it's just, whether you want to do it or not, I think it's up to your individual choice. It's like Michael says, we don't know the end game on this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, they could come out with a vaccine next year. They probably won't, but, uh, you know, I mean, they could. Things could get a lot better. Things could change. This could be a blip in the radar, and I think as fiction writers, we need to be, you know, cognizant of that, that that this could actually be a blip in the radar. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I think that that our lives have, have begun to change, and we are now at the denial stage, and pretty soon we'll have what's called acceptance which is, you know, probably about six to eight to nine months before we get to a global accept, uh, uh, you know, acceptance of how the world's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, but that's, you know, trying to keep it real world. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, it's up to It's up to the writer. If you're looking for the next best
2: thing to invest in, try investing in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is
3: intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early, which could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Visit GoForward.com to learn
2: more about how Forward can help you manage your long-term health risks for one flat monthly fee. That's GoForward.com.
1: I did have a uh, an author friend who it was <laughs> so unfortunate. He he writes post apocalyptic, and he had a series specifically about contagion and a flu very similar to coronavirus. And I remember that we went into lockdown probably around the nineteenth or so of March of this year. And I get a, a newsletter in my inbox, and I think it was like the twenty second or the twenty third, just going. Really sorry. I know this might not be for everyone. I had prepared this book and I'm going to release it. And it was the first of a series of these sort of contagion uh, post-apocalyptic episodic mm-hmm. uh, stories. And it, it just really made me have a laugh because I was like, it doesn't seem to have affected his sales luckily um, because there is, there are still people that want to read that stuff. And there was a rise in post-apocalyptic fiction because people, there was an uh, an element of preparedness that people wanted to go through. Um, mm-hmm. But, but swinging this back to, to the earlier question, John, how is it, how has it affected your writing?
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting to to talk about incorporating covid and the current situation into our stories now because that's the decision I'm basically right on the cusp of doing. So my at the start of the year between January and March um, I finished the first draft of a like of a novel um which I then was intending to edit straight away but basically the the global situation lockdown i didn't respond particularly well to it it kind of disrupted all the the sort of delicate supports i had in my life for mental health and stuff like that you know i i didn't have a a, a huge breakdown or anything but i just didn't i just didn't have the the drive to to keep writing and i i drifted away from it for a little while for a good few months and I wasn't putting out anything. I wasn't really doing much. I was reading a fair bit. I was watching a lot of movies. So I was sort of filling the pot, if you like, and bringing things in. But I wasn't creating anything myself. So I had this uh, this first draft of a novel. It's sitting there. Uh, I'm not doing anything. Fast forward, you know, a, a few, maybe like four months, four or five months, and um, then that acceptance that bob's talking about starts to come in and i start to feel those creative juices flowing again i i'm writing right now i'm writing um well apart from the the halloween horrors of old mill lane my story is set in the 40s for that so i didn't have to consider covid for that that was very easy the the novella i'm writing right now which i'm hoping to finish a draft of this month is set in the 90s so it's very easy I don't have to consider COVID but I am just about to start for uh NaNoWriMo this year Dan I'll be doing it alongside you Um, I'm gonna dust off that first draft of the novel because in the interim time between March and now it's the idea sort of mutated evolved a little bit I've thought of um some fairly substantial changes that I want to incorporate into the manuscript. So I'm going to treat it as sort of a draft 1.5. I'm going to use that as my NaNoWriMo project this year. But I haven't made the decision yet because it is a, a contemporary, present-day story. Do I incorporate or uh, COVID into it? And, and honestly, I don't know what the answer is yet. It, I may discover that during the writing um, if it adds something... Um, I'm not 100% sure. So that's a decision that is yet to be made, which is maybe a sort of non-answer to your question. But the, I mean, the honest answer is my writing in 2020 has been a roller coaster, just like the global situation. It started off really strong. I f- battered out this first draft of a novel that I was really happy with, completely nosedived creativity-wise, and I'm now uh, coming back out of it. Mm. and And that's been... That's been
1: my experience. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely been a common thread of um, bursts of creativity and just droughts. I mean, I so at the beginning of lockdown, I had one of those situations where, um, I mean, obviously nothing is a, as extreme as Michael's situation, but I was out of contact with my my child because uh, my ex coughed. And that obviously you had to then go into like a two-week self-quarantine. So I had like a whole two-week period at the beginning of lockdown, also around my birthday, in which was like, a week into the lockdown where obviously I had this massive thing planned. So it went from all of these plans and that to suddenly like I'm by myself. No one knows what the hell's going on. Um, and for me, I I combated that with an extreme burst of creativity and ended up writing my first nonfiction on collaboration for authors. And then following on from that, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm one of those that, you know, this is my full-time gig. I consistently get words on the page, but it's definitely not been consistent to the level that it would have been last year there have been sort of extreme weeks of productivity followed by real struggles to get the words down um and you know i'm writing a post-apocalyptic horror at the minute which is uh not it's not in any way covid related but it follows sort of like the themes of melting downs of society and stuff so there's some darkness in there but because i set it quite far away in just the far reaches of alaska it's far enough removed that i can keep going back to that page without it being too real Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're coming up in terms of our conversation now too close for now. I'm, I'm happy to keep on going. If you guys keep on going, obviously there's certain topics that we definitely want to hear. Are you guys all good to carry on? And yeah. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Are, Are you good, Bob? Oh yeah,
1: I'm good all perfect i you know started off the show by lying to the guests and saying that the listeners and saying it's gonna be 60 minutes it'll be longer um yeah we got you you got punked yeah i got you this is gonna be seven hours (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah no speaking of things obviously we've been working on this year um you guys have have mentioned it at this point a little bit but bob and michael tell us a little bit more about their watching what, what what's going on there the release how did it all come about and and
2: tell us all right well I mean, let's kick off then. I'll read the synopsis to give I will you... add as well, I, I
1: love the cover. The cover's fantastic.
2: Dude, the cover <laughs> is so good. <laughs> this was created by Pai pa, who also did the cover for The Girl in the Video, and he's done various covers for This as Horror releases, perhaps most notably A House at the Bottom of a Lake. But he he's probably my favourite artist so with that in mind it was like well I'm gonna try and work with him on my projects and you know that that's what I did with the girl in the video that's what we've done with their watching and I think for me perhaps the fact that yeah, you know, you've got this eye looking through into a room and the silhouette of someone dancing in the eye but perhaps the the feature that takes it to the next level is that, you know, th- this is of course like a 2D image, but it's almost got this 3D quality. I think that might be what why it's wowing everyone because it's certainly got a very positive reaction. I mean, the girl in the video, the cover got a good reaction because of how damn colorful it was. But this one, it's like, whoa, you have added 3D to it. So I don't know how Pi is going to be able to top that when hmm. I release House of Bad Memories next year, which I've also got him do the, doing the cover art for. But, you know, if anyone can outdo himself consistently, it is Pi. So a huge thank you to him. And, yeah, if you haven't checked it out, you know, get Google there watching by Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella. If only to look at the cover art. I mean, I think you should read the story too, but you've (laughs) got to check out that cover. But back to the blurb, I mean, here it is. From the hosts of This Is Horror podcast comes a dark thriller of obsession, paranoia, and voyeurism. After relocating to a small coastal town, Brian discovers a hole that gazes into his neighbor's bedroom. Every night she dances and he peeps. Same song, same time, same wild and mesmerizing dance. But soon Brian suspects he's not the only one watching and she's not the only one being watched. they watching is the Wicker Man meets Body Double with a splash of Suspiria. So that is the <laughs> synopsis for... <laughs> The novel,
1: and from what I've read Sweet. so far, it definitely lives up to exactly what you've put there. It's got all of those elements. It's yeah, I mean, I know John's sort of further through than I've gotten so far. I finished it, Dan. Mm. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's
3: pretty far through. <laughs> you can't get much, can't further, get much further than through. that, can you? <laughs> you can't get no more pages, man. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 really it's really wonderful. It's good, yeah, like like the uh, the description, you know, I love the the kind of Wonderful paranoia throughout. It's all the way through the story. There's this compelling mystery. The cast of characters is is great. I love the characters. Um, it's sexy. It's it's everything a horror should be. I, yeah, I really really dig it, and I, I highly recommend. It. I'm not going to say anything more than just
1: praise. It's mm. it was great. And how did the idea come about to you both? Because obviously this is a collaborative effort. So how did you navigate those waters of of turning this into a collaboration?
2: So I put forth the idea to Bob that we should collaborate on something. I mean, we're already collaborating on the website on the podcast. So I thought, why don't we dabble in a little bit of fiction? And so from there, I told Bob some of the themes that I thought would be pretty cool for us to explore. And luckily, Bob agreed. I mean, it'd be a bit awkward if he was like, no, those (laughs) are lousy fucking themes, try again. And then we just kind of went back and forth, fleshing out a plan uh, until we'd kind of got a chapter-by-chapter plan, at which point we started the writing. And so Bob would work on a section. He would then send it to me. I would go over everything that Bob had done. I'd do that pretty meticulously. So every sentence was up for grabs. It could be rewritten. Then after that, I would write a new section. I would send it to Bob, who would do exactly the same, going over every single sentence. And so by the end of even the first draft, we had quite a cohesive voice where it was difficult to be able to tell who wrote which bit because even if you see something and it's very British English that does not mean that I wrote that section that might mean that Bob wrote the section and then I just substituted one of his bastardized American words (laughs) Uh, Bob why did you do that and threw a a British word in (laughs) instead so I mean now when we read it apart from if i wrote a line i was particularly proud of or bob wrote some things that made me laugh out loud and there are a few then i don't know who wrote each bit and that is exactly the way that it should be and luckily the feedback we've got so far is that people really can't tell who wrote what you know it's this voice that that is uh, both of us together it is simultaneously me and bob which maybe means it's simultaneously neither of us we've created a literary paradox <laughs> and that's exactly what you should do when you're collaborating mm-hmm. but I, I will add as well that they're watching has essentially had three main versions now it's of course gone through many more drafts but we had an initial version that was about a 20,000 word novella which we wrote pretty quickly then it had a kind of halfway house version where it was about 30,000 words so just an expanded novella but we knew that there was something missing between the second and the third act and it took us sending the book to a number of beta readers and some of the things that they said, whilst they didn't provide the solution, their words kind of created us to find the solution and the answer. And we Mm -hmm. knew what was missing. We actually removed a character. We added a new character. We expanded the role of two characters and that is the 50,000 word novel that you've got. And And for my money, nothing is missing. This is the kind of definitive version of their watching. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so glad that we had some setbacks and it took a little while for us to get to this because this is much better than that initial 20,000 word novella that we had. This is kind of the vision. Um, This is what we wanted to achieve. So this can happen in life. Sometimes you have these setbacks. They look like they're a negative thing, but you go a little further forward into the future and then you find out why it happened. And so the version of there watching that you have read, that is a version that we're tremendously proud of and we can't wait for everyone else to read it.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to
2: know, John, I, I've just got to ask. Sorry, Bob.
3: Oh, go to, ahead. Go to, ahead. Cut,
2: to cut you off, as I am wont to do. <laughs> I wonder, who, who were your favourite characters, John? Well, the, the one that was in my head,
0: I don't know why. Be, I don't want to get into spoilers. But well,
2: don't. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> just don't. <laughs> yeah, don't <get> into <laughs> But the way that you, the way that you introduced uh, Red Robe in the supermarket. Yes. Was he, there's just something about that, that it was just immediately I could, I could picture, I just, I just knew, I just could picture him. I kind of recognized yeah. him weirdly. It was, it was, um, but that that's the thing about the characters in it. So often when I'm reading a novel, I I don't know if it's something about my brain or or what. If it's, I, I'm sure it's on me rather than the writer. Is I'll the, the characters will often just become a name on the page, and I mm. have to be reminded who they are. And I, I'll, you know, I'll be reading, and I won't have seen a character for a few. Se- I'm talking gen- reading generally now. I won't have seen a character for a few chapters, and then you know, Dave will be will jump back into the narrative. I and definitely have this as well, and it won't be until. There's some callback to something that Dave has already done that I'll actually know who that is. I'll need that reminder, and I never had that once uh, while I was watching. Uh, while I was watching, while I was reading, they're watching. Every character was memorable. They had their role. There was no um, filler characters, you know, that, that were just there as a kind of foil type thing. It, I I got to know them all really quickly and. Yeah, just the way you introduced them was kind of a, a masterclass. I, I, I'm looking forward to rereading it actually um, mm. so that I, I, can, uh, I can see how you did it. Like I, like I was talking earlier, when I read something that is, uh, I have a particular reaction to, I, uh, I, I experienced the, the reaction, then I wanna go back and figure out how you did mm. it. And I think the way that you deal with characters and handle them is something that I n-
1: need to study. It's wonderful it's very oh. it's very deliberate you can tell from sort of a story structure perspective you can tell which characters are placed where and that they'll be important and like john says there's a very um it's quite a minimal cast which makes it then a bit easier to remember all these characters and because they are so different but they link so well like you say it, it is very memorable but um bob did you have anything else to to add on on the book as well
3: yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say because I think the minimal cast thing is really important. There was a point where we were gonna add another character, and not necessarily add another character, we were gonna add a POV, and uh, it was one of those things that me and Michael went through, and so we had to one decide, you know, figure out why we wanted to do this, what was the purpose of it in the end game. And based upon our beta reader feedback, we discovered that there were some things that the protagonist had not gone through, and so we to, everything has to have a I feel like a you know a logical reason, and so we created a gigantic complica- complication that propels the story in a way that we get to the ending and it's it, the ending has a lot more impact, you know, but there was, there was some, you know, some pretty, some pretty good discussions that we had because there was, you know, we, we, we had to brainstorm that. And it was something that, and it, it ba- basically it dealt with something that I did not want to do. And then I changed my mind. And, my, and Michael, will tell you once I changed my mind, it was it was on like Donkey Kong because I, I know I, I don't want to spoil anything, but one of our beta readers had suggested that a, a certain character uh, ended up a certain way, and I was like, no, no, no. And then when I when I did it, I could even tell in Michael's emails, he was like, okay, it's on. This is what we got to do, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so I was kind of like a, I was probably a little bit of a holdback on that, but. I think it uh it, it made a better story uh taking it to the, to that level and it it created the complication and uh I guess the end thing is oops I hit my mic <laughs> I guess the end thing is is that uh I'll probably never ever ever write another character tied to a chair again. I'm just <laughs> just just going to say that out loud. I'm just never going to do that again. <laughs> Love it and where where can
1: people get their hands on the copy? obviously as we say, if people are listening to this on the day of release and it comes out on the well, tomorrow for anyone else it's the thirty first of uh, October 2020 Where can people grab their copy?
2: Well, I mean the best way to get it will be to you know look, look at your favorite online bookstore unless there is a bookstore that you can actually go to at this moment and and order it in so it will be widely available on places like amazon and barnes and noble and things like that so i mean really what you know book depository wherever you get your book that is a decent place to order it from now there's likely to be some that you'll be able to order from this is horror but there are very much limited stocks there so we've mostly done direct from this is horror for the pre-order so we will, as is good practice, order a few more copies than the actual pre-order. And if you want to do that, I mean, the, the pre-order bonus that we're giving is the, the audio book and the ebook alongside the physical book. I don't know if that's something we will continue past pre-order. I. I'll say this, and I'm making a decision on the spot right now. Exclusive. This is going down. We we will extend it those bonuses for one week for great writer share listeners. So if you want to be able to get the paperback and the ebook and the audiobook when that comes out next year, then you order it direct from Disusara.co.uk, and. Well, we have done a few podcasts now, and this is the first podcast where I've said, There you go, there's your bonus. So
1: So make that's sure you what take happens advantage. When it. you
2: talk with us for over an hour, you you're reaping the rewards now. <laughs> that, that's the
1: weak spot. That's where things start to crumble. But we'll we'll definitely yeah. put a link in the show notes for that. And thank yeah. you very much, guys. Appreciate that.
0: Everyone listening in audio missed Bob's Eyebrows just go up and just be like oh no what's michael about to say now <laughs> <laughs> well, to, <laughs> which i love to, seeing to,
2: oh. yeah to, to be fair that's probably how bob feels on a lot of things i mean i've announced some pretty insane this is podcast challenges before like oh if we get to this number of patrons we'll record like two episodes every week for the next three months and he's like what the hell are you doing or, <laughs> you know it's like we're gonna do a 24-hour podcast Well, I haven't done that yet I, I think I joked about it once to Bob and his, his uh, expression did not look like he was joking back I think the joke would be <laughs> I'm on my own it's like well good luck talking to yourself for mm-hmm. 24 hours Especially and, to um, what's
1: what's the phrase? It's better to ask for forgiveness than his permission.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. exactly it, and that is uh that is something I, would, I, but I, I I apply to quite a bit of my professional life. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, we went into which, that on our, in, in, last time. Important <laughs> um, <laughs> professional caveat there.
3: Um, I think I would know if we were doing twenty four hours because probably after about hour thirteen, I'd be like, okay, now. <laughs> Uh, what else are we gonna talk about? <laughs> is that, is that when you rec- shot?
1: <laughs> is that when you record your ads for this is horror with that really like
3: spooky? Yeah. Voice. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. no that's that's usually uh after uh i've had the email for about 24 hours and i forgot and i need to do it real quick <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, then knock them out
0: <laughs> just get them yeah. done people and would then. listen to the 24-hour podcast just just putting it out there i mean you know the, the, i don't know if anyone i don't know if anyone watches uh there's a tv show that's broadcasting at the moment called the third day has anyone heard of this or watched it uh, I watched and, the
3: first episode. I want to get back on it. I'm really yeah. Enjoy yeah.
0: It. Okay, it's it, yeah, it's really good. I'm still obviously watching through it, but they had a uh, a 12 hour episode in the middle. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's six six one hour episodes, uh, three, and then this 12 hour episode in Jesus. the middle, and then another three. But they've released a highlights like a one and a half a 90 minute version of the. Of the 12 hours so you don't need to do the whole thing but crazy. you know it's not so not so crazy 24 hour this is horror podcast yeah.
1: mm-hmm. make
0: it happen yeah you could have a guess we'll, we'll <laughs> I, I wonder we'll how join.
2: bob's gonna react to this but i mean it, it's not something that i completely <laughs> discount doing but it, it it would have to be you know for the right reasons and under the right circumstances i Your wonder next yeah i wonder if i would do it in the same way that uh brian Keane has done things for scares that care like have it as a charitable thing and so invite mm-hmm. on different guests for one or two hours at a time yeah if there's a world record I, that could be broken yeah i,
3: I, I don't, don't know even go 20, there dan <laughs> i love this i love that we
0: i can see michael consider it on the part. You know, I've finished a pot of coffee now. We should tell everyone we're recording this. It's such a strange time for everyone because we're all in different parts of the world. So, me and Dan are at what time is it now? I don't know. 27, seven. At, we
1: jumped on at five.
0: We started at five. So I finished a whole <laughs> pot of coffee. I'm feeling mischievous. I want to. I want to try and convince it's... Michael to do this <laughs> Halloween <laughs> thing. <laughs> <It happened>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when you get up at five a.m. and drink a load of coffee. It's mm-hmm. like you're just causing trouble.
3: Yeah.
1: But well, yeah. we'll pull you away from uh, from it a little bit, just so we don't, you know, kill Bob on air. Um. Yeah. <laughs> John, you you have a a project currently under being under. This is terrible English. Being undergone. You currently have a project going on for Halloween. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the uh, Halloween horrors of Mill Lane?
0: Yeah. So this is the new. Um, Halloween audio production from Hawken Cleavers, the other stories. Um, I'm trying to, I'm desperately trying to click now uh, to see if I can get a
1: a, a synopsis, and it's just started. Playing. Well, while you do that, I can, I can quickly add that, like, it, so for the past few years, I've been quite heavily involved in in the Halloween episodes for the other stories, and because of my own stuff this year, I've started sort of my own horror imprint, Devil's Rock Publishing. I've taken a, a bit of a step back, and I'm excited because. The guys have been doing some wonderful things with the production, and we always—well, I say always—for the last few years, we've uh, we've made sure that we do almost like a full Halloween week. And um I know that Andy Conduit Turner, one of the other guys involved quite heavily in the Hawken Cleaver stuff, has really sort of excelled himself in bringing this all together and and putting all the pieces in place. Um, and John, you look ready for the the synopsis.
0: I have a synopsis now. Yeah, well, this is the magic of podcasting now. Um, to yeah, so from the team behind the chart topping horror storytelling podcast, The Other Stories, comes an ambitious new audio anthology starring the voice of British horror icon Emily Booth alongside a cast of Hawking Cleaver regulars to celebrate Halloween. The Midnight Macabre podcast hosted by Laura Lampton, played by Emily Booth presents a week of daily live broadcasts from Old Mill Lane in Bramshire, a location with a reputation for being one of the most haunted places in Britain. Each night, Laura introduces a story reconstructed from the gruesome past of the mill in an effort to unpick the mysteries of its dark history, culminating in a grand finale as Halloween arrives. So yeah, this is, uh, like you said, this is a week of um, of podcast episodes being broadcast. Uh, on F- YouTube and Facebook, I believe they're going out uh, in, in a special format. They'll be available to listen to on the Other Stories podcast feed as, as usual. But if you want to listen to them a little bit early, you can see them streamed on YouTube and Facebook. And I believe they'll be getting broadcast on YouTube and Facebook uh, as the clock strikes midnight on each night. Um, I am writing what will be episode two. I think. Um, my story is called The Evacuee of Old Mill Lane, it's set in the 1940s. And um, I can't go into it too much, but it's it's very exciting to be getting to work alongside Emily Booth. Um, now, that name might not be familiar to, uh, to everyone if you're not a, a kind of fan of British horror, uh, horror movies. Um, but Emily Booth is basically a kind of scream queen. She's She's someone that I've followed for a very long time. Uh, She's in, I'm trying to think of of maybe some of her her more famous film roles. Um, She was in a movie called Cradle of Fear, which uh, was, um, I I knew that Michael would know that movie, (laughs) uh, um, which stars Danny Filth uh, from Cradle of Filth. Um, She's in, in that. She was in, Famously, she made a very, very brief appearance in the movie Event Horizon, which is probably one of our most famous ones. But she's one of the people in a very kind of gruesome uh, scene that they see on a little monitor. Uh, She only appears. I think she's uncredited, but she appears uh, for a flash, a millisecond on screen. Um, She's in a bunch of British horror movies and yeah as i say i have watched her films for ages so just getting to uh you know be introduced by her to write uh, a story that is uh alongside she won't be narrating my story but she basically presents the story and um yeah just to have that is a, is a dream come true for me so it's very exciting so, uh, october 25th the first episode drops um and the the Big Finale. I've heard some snippets of it. It's obviously still getting pulled together at the moment, but I've heard some of the stuff that's going out and it's just fantastic the audio production on it from all the team um from uh the the writers and the the narrators and the the audio wizards at the Other Stories. Everyone's on Carl. top of their game. Yeah. Shout out to Carl. He's really acing it. And Andy who's basically the showrunner is um is doing a fantastic job as well he's he's given some valuable feedback to to me as a writer he's improved my story to no end uh this the the experience that he is crafting is is really something special and i'm excited for everyone to listen to it
1: Mm. and i will i will take a moment as well to plug for people who haven't uh gotten enough content to digest over the halloween period uh i also have an anthology that went live on the 19th of october starring 11 writers, and it basically deals with everything to do with the afterlife and death. Um, I'll read my synopsis here, which is, uh, Death is only the beginning. There was only so long that the crypt could hide the secrets, only so long the living could wait to pry open the coffin's lid and discover the truth. For millennia, humans have pondered the endless abyss, made their own determinations, sobbed at the tombstones of lovers and prayed for a restful thereafter. Now, for the first time, the other side is revealed in all its decrepit glory. In this dark fiction and horror anthology, 11 horror authors explore the infinite possibilities that lay beyond the living. Featuring ghosts, graves, celestial celestial voyages, forgetful realms, and forests of the dead, the other side will have you questioning all that you think you know about what lies beyond the curtain. And I'm I'm excited for this because this is the first solo anthology I've pieced together, and it was quite a process. I don't know, have you, have you guys at This Is Horror done any kind of anthology like this?
2: I have not put an anthology together mostly because I know how much work is involved in putting an anthology together and how <laughs> lucrative it generally isn't. So <laughs> I I I have been satisfied putting out standalone books by individual authors but at the moment certainly the idea of me editing and publishing an anthology is not one that particularly appeals to me if as a (laughs) publisher listening who wants to take me on as an anthologist or an editor for an anthology that's something I would be more receptive to but just like the you know especially if you have it open submissions it's like no way. that's too much work for not mm. enough pay and 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 going through royalty statements. and now what? I've got to split it between 10 to maybe 25 writers. I mean i I, I, I certainly think if I would have put it out, it would be like, here's your flat payment mainly because it's like I, I don't have enough hours to go through a royalty statement, dividing yeah. it up and writing you all individual statement so i'm sorry but that's not where the priorities are so yeah
1: it's it's definitely I, been a I haven't a, done it, <laughs> it it's, it's definitely been a labor of love and i've you know i've encountered a lot of those situations and i went for the flat payment in the end um and i definitely wanted to pay because you know I, I think there are a lot of people putting short stories out there that just don't don't get their due worth at all and a lot of people asking for free content and i think the least you can do in an anthology is is to actually pay the authors um but i'm i'm massively excited about this i ended up getting about just under 200 submissions, which all the stories were between five and 10,000 words, which obviously is a fair chunk of change to try and go through. But I narrowed it down to 10, and then I added myself in there because, you know, why not? It's my book. <laughs> it's my collection.
2: Um, Did you read all of those stories? Because I'll, I'll be honest, if you got me or anyone, not just specifically you, to edit an anthology, I if I'm out of the story, you know, and there's hundreds of submissions, then... That's getting rejected. I'm not going to yeah. wait to see if you redeem me at the 75% mark. You know, sorry, you should no, have it was a, a better story to begin with.
1: Absolutely. I So the first few, I think, because the excitement comes, you end up reading a fair a fair lot of it It's almost gauge sort of where where the bar's going to be set. Mm. Um, But then you tend to find the nugget of what is, you know, basically what you've been looking for. And then everything else, the bar is set from there. And, you know, I read the beginnings of every story, um, bar a few. I did have someone help me along alongside, and, and she read a good maybe 40, I think about 40 or 50 of them. Um, but, no, absolutely, it's definitely a case of if the story doesn't resonate within the first couple of pages, then I'm sorry, like, it, it's gone, because it has to be – it's a short story. It has to hook you in. Otherwise, you know, what What other there's, – there's no other content to play with. If, if you're not hooked in in the first 500 words, you're, like – fit 20% of the way through the book all so, the story. So yeah, I was quite, um, I definitely grew harsh as the process went on, but if a story grabbed me, if it felt like it had potential, I pulled it in. Um, and like I say, I've, I've now got sort of uh, 10 fantastic stories, really, really happy with the guys that are involved. Got names like um, Tom Garback, Heinrich von Wolfcastle, Julie Heiner, Daniel R. Robichaud, myself, Harvey Click, Paul Sandsfield, C.W. Blackwell, Jay Thorne, M.B. Vujicic, and Thomas Codner. Um, So a mix of people from all over the globe. And yeah, I'm I'm sort of really proud of what we put together. But for anyone that wants to grab a copy of that, that's over at devilsrockpublishing.com forward slash the other side. Um, Now, so I think we are starting to come close to time, mostly because my son will be up soon and he will disturb this wonderful conversation. So is there anything you guys want to say, sort of like a last minute thing before we sign off?
2: Well, I mean, of course, I want people to check out their watching and I want people to listen to this is horror podcast if they haven't already and you've had some
1: cracking episodes the last few months top notch right
2: right well i mean in the last month i was fortunate enough to speak with chuck Paulinick. so if anyone wants an introduction to the podcast there it is Mm -hmm. right there me and and chuck Paulinick.
1: Yeah, and we, I think we've spoken a little bit. I can't remember if this was on or off air, but obviously This Is Horror It's not really just a horror podcast. It's really about getting to know writers, more so horror writers, but you go into their processes. It's not sort of gruesome as such. It's more just exploring what it is to be a writer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So and I mean, this I think show. it's not just about being a writer. It's about being a human being. It's about navigating trauma and depression and mental health issues you know, it, it's about philosophy, it's about early life lessons. And our definition of horror is incredibly broad. So I would put The Invention of Sound, Chuck's latest book, within that definition of horror. I would, of course, put Guts and indeed the collection Haunted in that definition. I even think I mean Fight Club is horror tangential. That gives you an idea as to. As to, you know, our approach, we've also spoken with Craig Davidson, who horror fans might know as Nick Cutter. We've spoken with Kathy Codia, who wrote The Cipher, Caitlin Starling, who did The Luminous Dead, Um, Pung Shepard, who wrote The Book of M, which some might argue is more fantasy. So essentially we chat with great and interesting writers and we pull out life lessons writing advice and basically everything that listeners of great writers share you know will be into it, it in a way it's kind of like the the Tim Ferris or the Joe Rogan podcast of the horror world these are long form conversations that we're having and as i say ch- check out the episode with chuck or you know search for your favorite horror tangential writer and hopefully we've spoken with them i mean Charlene harris ramsey campbell the list goes on but as you say we've got to wrap up soon so i'm not gonna list over 300 people that we've spoken with Mm. do
3: you have any parting words bob what's that now i'm sorry do you have any parting words well get there watching I really, me and Michael have worked on this and, uh, we've worked on it for a long time and I'm, I'm super pumped to to finally see it come to life. And I just know that, that, you know, it's going to resonate with people and I hope it does. I hope it does. And I feel like it will. And I'm excited for y'all, for people who get to read it, uh, You know, and of course, you know, we've got some great stuff coming up on the podcast. Uh, And who knows what 2021 is going to hold. I just think that 2021 is going to be a better year. Uh, We're going to make it 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 a better year. (laughs) It's got to get better. Um, But, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like we said, we use horror to cope. We're going to cast a wide net over what we feel is horror. And and we're going to, you know, it's all about community and it's all about, you know, taking care of one another.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 that as well, you know, be kind to yourselves and give yourself a break. I mean, we've spoken mm-hmm. about writing during the pandemic. I mean, some of us have said that we struggled. Others have said, you know, we, we, we kind of wrote as usual and your circumstances are individual and unique to you And so if you're not writing a lot, you know, that's okay. These are unique and uncertain times. And if you are writing a lot, then you know that that's great as well. But maybe you're going to have seasons of your life where you're not. So there is no definitive rule. There is nothing that kind of makes you or doesn't make you a writer apart from writing at some point. But if you go months or even if you take a year and you don't write you know that doesn't change your identity as a writer so you know don't benchmark yourself against what other people are doing be kind to yourself love yourself and you know do what you need to do to get through this because this is difficult
1: top that john i cannot (laughs)
0: top that so I will, I will just quickly ask people to uh, to buy their watching and listen to this is horror. And if there's still time left in your day, then yeah, no, you should definitely check out the horrors, the Halloween horrors of Old Mill Lane when it lands on October 25th as well. So yeah, and that's
2: back. exciting that you've got Emily mm-hmm. Booth. I mean, an icon of horror. And I mean, perhaps the reason that you are finding it harder to to recall specific films, people would be intimately familiar with she's almost most known for presenting these anthologies and these shows i mean she was presenting a show on the horror channel i think over 10 years ago now she began doing that and so emily booth is just someone who's synonymous with the british horror genre she she's very generous with her time i got to meet her at fright fest i think that was back in 2013 and for you to have, have landed her with hawk and cleaver that is a a huge coup that cannot be overstated so well done to all of you and <laughs> i'm looking forward to it and you should all certainly check that out
0: Mm -hmm. yeah emily is fantastic in it she's so good i haven't heard like i say i haven't heard the whole thing as it's still being produced but what i have heard she's just fantastic and yeah i i watched all those shows as well that that was why it was so difficult i was trying to think of what a more general audience would recognize her from which is why i chose a very very obscure you know like she was in event horizon but for such a small a period of time but yeah, she used to present, I don't know if you remember, like she presented this show called Out There, which was kind of before um, YouTube, like it was a, a big uh, catalyst for me in discovering a lot of old cult movies, because it used to play on late night TV in the UK, and it would show clips from all these strange movies all, from all over the world. And um, yeah, she she's, she's fantastic.
1: Andy outdid himself. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so on that note, that about wraps us up for this episode of The Great Writers' Scare podcast. Links for all books, podcasts, and anything discussed in today's conversation can be found in the show notes below. Be sure to gra- uh, get your grubby mitts on Michael and Bob's brand new book they're watching, which will be available to purchase on 31st of October. The Halloween Horrors of Old Mill Lane from Hawkin Cleaver is available to download and listen for free on the Other Stories podcast, with the finale launching on the 31st of October too. And if you're still not fulfilled with the gruesome and the dark, then be sure to head on over to devilsrockpublishing.com and grab your copy of The Other Side Horror Anthology. And I should say as well, listen to the This Is Horror podcast because there's some fantastic content on there. One more time, I want to say thanks to Michael David Wilson and Bob Pastorella for joining us. Thanks to John Crinnan for waking up with me at this ungodly hour. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in every week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writers Share podcast. Join us next week when Holly will be speaking to cult-escaping badass author Jesse Shedden. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Great Writers Share. Until next time.
2: Hello, this is Hannah from Red Handed. Would you like to watch something scary, like really scary so scary you'll hide behind the sofa then you need shudder shudder is the ultimate streaming service if you like heart racing thrillers the mind-bending supernatural and a good old gut-wrenching horror discover an unbeatable collection of hollywood classics and critically acclaimed new genre films that are sure to leave you feeling satisfied if a little freaked out sign up now at
1: shudder.com
2: that's s-h-u-d-d-e-r.com
0: shudder so good it's scary